Hi friends, welcome to the FBC Tuttle podcast. Thanks for joining us this week. We are so glad you're here. Each week on our podcast, you'll hear messages from our pastor, Brother Marty Williams. If you'd like to join us for worship, we meet every Sunday at 1045 a.m. Central in Tuttle, Oklahoma and online at fbctuttle.net. Now, let's get started. Well, Wayne was uh, talking about uh, starting to work on Christmas music. And I kind of had an experience this week that took me back just a little bit. Um, It occurs to me that as he was saying that, and somebody was saying, oh my gosh, Christmas, you know, already. It occurs to me there's two places that it's never too early for Christmas. And the first one is channel 312 on my TV. (laughs) The Hallmark Channel. Right? It is always Christmas on the Hallmark Channel. And, uh, and the second place is Hobby Lobby. I'm telling you, I, you know, I went, you know, bulk trash day, right? So I'm out scrounging around in all of our little storage places that we have around our place looking for trash to put out. And I noticed there's no Christmas tree where we usually store our Christmas tree. And then I remembered, you know, our Christmas tree, like the top half of it broke off last year. And we like had it zip, you know, a dowel rod zip tied to it, kind of holding it together. But at the end of the season, instead of storing it, we threw it in the trash because we need a new tree. So I reminded Brenda, we don't, don't forget, you have to buy a new tree this year. And uh, this was like, I don't know, it's last Saturday, a week ago or something. And um, so I said, you know, as soon as, soon as, uh, Halloween's over, they'll be putting Christmas stuff out. So in order to get a good tree, we better, you know, go get it. And uh, like the next day, Monday, uh, she needed some stuff for a girl's Bible study and said, you know, hey, while you're in the city, run by a Hobby Lobby and, you know, see if they have these things. And so I did. And I'll be darned if they're not setting up Christmas trees in Hobby Lobby, the middle of July. And uh, there were like four of them, you know, that were putting the trees together and all. They already had row after row after row of wrapping paper and decorations and all that stuff. And they were just putting the trees together. And I made the comment, my goodness, you guys sure have Christmas stuff out early. And this young man just looked me square in the eye and he said, we love Christmas at Hobby Lobby. (laughs) So... Wayne and Hobby Lobby and Hallmark. It's always Christmas. And you know what? We watch those Hallmark Christmas shows in July too. So anyway, well, we have, uh, over the last several weeks, we've kind of embarked upon a journey to take a closer look at some of the commandments, right, of Jesus, particularly in the Gospels. And, uh, you know, it goes back, I know they say this every week, but I'm going to continue. It goes back to the Great Commission, right? Uh, before he was ascended back to heaven on high, he gave, the, he gave his disciples, his followers, their kind of their marching orders until he comes back. And he says, go make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to observe all that I have commanded them. So, so I'm going to do my part. I'm, I'm preaching through some of these commands uh, with a particular bent, don't miss it, right, to teach you to observe these commands. Right now, I, 
I preached to myself that too. You know, I couldn't help but think, what was that, what was that last song that, that we sang? Through it all? Great song. Right, but as I was, as after I've done this study, right, and and as we're singing that through it all, I've learned to trust in Jesus, and I just thought to myself, no, probably not. I'm learning to trust in Jesus. You know, I'm learning to trust in Jesus. I don't have it down yet, right? I don't have it down yet, and. Uh, and we're gonna we're gonna look at you know and I don't think you know we're gonna look at some examples in scripture of others that didn't have it down. Wayne uh, actually mentioned the text that uh, that I'm gonna preach from this morning. But anyway, so we're we're preaching through these commands or some of them at least. And and uh, the first command remains absolutely the most important. And frankly, without it, uh, all the rest is hopeless. And that was Jesus' command to repent and follow me. Repent and follow me. Change your thinking. Change the way you're thinking about life, about death, about eternity, about pleasing God. Repent of that and follow me. Everything else kind of builds upon that. And then we, we looked at, uh, at Jesus' command to come to him. Quit thirsting for that which does not satisfy, and come to me and drink, he said. And then last week, we looked at kind of a twofold command of Jesus in John chapter 14, verse 1, right? Do not let your heart be troubled. Do not let your heart be troubled. We're going to touch on that a little bit again today, but Jesus commanded him, don't, don't be troubled, don't be agitated, don't be anxious, don't be... Stirred up. Don't let your heart be troubled. He says, you believe in God, believe in me. Right? Have faith in me. And you know, this, this theme of, of belief and faith, um, it's, a, it's a big deal to Jesus. It's a big deal to God. It's a big deal in Scripture. And um, so much so that I don't know how many weeks it's going to get, but it's going to get more than one. And, uh, you know, we, uh, a, lot of, a lot of the teachings of Jesus throughout Scripture contain, contain this, this command or this truth in some way, shape, or form. Last week I mentioned the centurion, right? The centurion who had a servant that was sick and had sent word to Jesus to, to come and, and heal my servant and so Jesus goes on his way and meets him or meets a group from him. And he says, hey, you don't have to come. Just say the word and my servant will be healed. And Jesus, Jesus, I mean, Jesus prays. I mean, he turns around and says to all the multitudes following, such great faith I have not seen. Go your way. It is as you have said. I mean, Jesus and God rejoice in faith. Rejoice in faith. Remember the time when the disciples in Matthew chapter 17, they came to Jesus and, and, and they'd been doing some marvelous things. And they came to Jesus and uh, after, after one had brought a demon-possessed person to them and, and they couldn't cast it out. And they said, why? Why could we not cast it out? And Jesus said to them, because of your unbelief. Because of your unbelief. 
Now, you'd have thought these guys had this believing stuff down, right? That's the reason I say, through it all I've learned. No, through it all I'm learning, right? Because if they didn't have it down, I've, I don't have it down either, right? So because of your unbelief, for assuredly I say to you, if you have faith as a mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move, and nothing will be impossible for you. It says, however, this kind doesn't come out except with prayer and fasting. I've learned to trust in his word through it all, through it all. I've learned to trust in Jesus. I've learned to trust his word. Faith only stands on the word of God. And we, I'm not preaching from this text this morning, but we would learn from this text, right, that, that there's more than to just a blind kind of faith. Even though it was their unbelief, he said this time comes out with prayer and fasting. You remember the writer of Hebrews sandwiched in between that faith chapter of Hebrews chapter 11, what's called the roll call of faith. We read, by faith Enoch was taken away so that he did not see death, and he was not found because God had taken him. For before he was taken, he had this testimony that he pleased God. Without faith... It is impossible to please him, the writer of Hebrews says. For he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Faith pleases God. So we're going to spend, we're going to spend uh, another week at least uh, on this. You know, the passage that we're going to look at today is in Matthew chapter 14. And uh, before I, it's, uh, it, is the, it is the text that Wayne mentioned, that Jesus uh, walking on the water. And, um, but but before, before we just jump to that story, I want to, I want to put it in a little bit of context that we have. It is, it's a, uh, it is a passage, the, a story that is recorded in Mark chapter 6 and John chapter 6 in addition to the passage that we're going to be looking at in Matthew 14. And if I could just encourage you to read the story in all of those Gospels because they all shed a little bit different light on what's going on. And I think it's interesting that while all of them, all of them report the fact of the storm, and all of them report the fact of Jesus walking across the water to the disciples. Matthew is the only one that mentions Peter doing it. I thought that's kind of odd. I mean, I would think that'd be a big deal, right? You'd think all of them would report that, but they didn't. Matthew was the only one. And uh, don't know the reasons for that, but, uh, but it's, it's, worth, uh, it's worth reading. But, but to think about the context of it, in, uh, in Mark chapter 6, verses uh, 7 through, uh, I, don't, I don't know, I, probably, I think I've got them, I have them on the screen. No, I don't have them on the screen, never mind. In Mark chapter 6, um, which is just prior uh, to, to this event that we're going to look at today it says and he called the 12 to himself and he began to send them out two by two and he gave them power over unclean spirits and they went out and they preached that people should repent and they cast out many demons and they anointed with oil many who were sick and they they healed them you remember that they come back and they and they said 
You know, even the demons were, I mean, they were so excited. Right? They were so excited about what, what they had been able to do, what they had seen the, the Spirit of God, what they'd seen the power of God accomplish in their lives. And, that, I mean, that had just happened. Right? And, and I mean, I think about, you know, I think about, uh, I don't know, I mean, we call them spiritual highs. I don't know. You know but but if, if there was a spiritual high for these disciples, that would have had to have been one of them. Right? Well, immediately when they, when they come back, and, and just, I mean, the, the following verses of Mark 6, immediately after they're getting back, they receive word that, uh, that John the Baptist has been killed. John the Baptist has been not just killed, but beheaded um, at the request of a young girl. At least two of these disciples had been followers, had been disciples of John the Baptist. Matthew, excuse me, Mark um, uh, chapter 6, or in Matthew chapter 14 says it too. It says, then his disciples came, John's disciples came, and they took away the body and they buried it. And they went and told Jesus. And when Jesus heard it, Matthew 14, verse 13 says, When Jesus heard it, he departed from there by boat to a deserted place by himself. I want you to think about just the emotional stuff, right, that's going on. Uh, Mark tells us actually that the disciples went with Jesus, right? I mean, they they would have all been in about the same shape. You know, John the Baptist was a cousin of Jesus. He was a friend of Jesus. He was a, he was a co-worker of Jesus. He was probably the one man, in fact he was, the one man other than his mother that knew him. Knew who he was, knew what he was about. They were a kindred, they were a kindred brotherhood in preaching the kingdom of God is near. And John's been beheaded. And Jesus says, I need a minute. I need a minute. So it says he he went, he went to a deserted place by himself. And when the multitudes heard it, they followed him on foot from the cities. And when Jesus went out, he saw a great multitude, and he was moved with compassion for them, and he, and he healed their sick. You see what has happened? He, he can't even get away. Until the multitudes know where he's at, and, and here they come. And, and, and you know what, what happens next. The, the next thing that happens is, the, is what's called the feeding of the 5,000, right? Which was probably more like 20,000. 5,000 men, plus women and children, all of them. It's recorded in all, all four of the Gospels. But it says when he... When he came out, when Jesus went out, he saw a great multitude and he was moved with compassion for them and he healed their sick. And when it was evening, 
His disciples came to him saying, This is a deserted place and the hour is already late. Send the multitudes away that they may go into the villages and buy themselves food. And Jesus said, They don't need to go away. You feed them. You feed them. And he tells them how. They said, Oh, we just, all we can find are these, you know, five loaves and two fishes. What's that for so many? Jesus said, Hey, divide the group up and set them down and. Let's feed them. So the disciples do that. Uh, Really, no time to mourn John the Baptist much because of the needs of the people. So the disciples, obviously, they instrumental in helping Jesus feed the 5,000, right? I mean, and, and what an experience that must have been. I mean, what an experience that must have been to have, to have watched Jesus and helped Jesus taking baskets of people and serving the people. And can you imagine the discussions, right? As, as they take a, and this is just imagination, right? This is not recorded in Scripture, but it kind of is. But can you imagine as they're taking food and they're giving it to the people and the people are saying, he's feeding all of us? like yeah he's the messiah this is this is it this is him this is the son of god here here was a a part of the defining proof of who jesus was you you don't do that there's no magic trick that that takes two fish and five loads and feeds 20,000 people And, and script Mark records for us in, in the book of Mark, his story here says that when they had finished, the crowd wanted to take him by force and make him king. That's how powerful the setting was. So can you imagine the emotional state of the disciples? Right? Because you know, right? They're all about him starting his reign of the kingdom, overthrowing Rome, you know, elevating the nation of Israel to its rightful place. They were all about that. And I'm sure when the people started to take him by force to make him king, the disciples would have been the ones that have been, you know, leading the, leading the way. I mean, that was the kind of men that they were, and that's what they believed, and, and I believed in Jesus. And then, we, and then we get to the passage that I want to look at today, Matthew chapter 14, beginning in verse uh, 22. It starts like this. It says, immediately, Jesus made... In fact, I'm going to read the whole story, and then I'm going to come back and, and, uh, and talk, talk about it a little bit. Matthew chapter 14, beginning in verse 22. Immediately, Jesus made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side while he sent the multitudes away. And when he had sent the multitudes away, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. Now, when evening came, he was there alone. But the boat was now in the middle of the sea, tossed by the waves, for the wind was contrary. 
And now in the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went to them walking on the sea. And when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were troubled, saying, It is a ghost. And they cried out for fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them, saying, Be of good cheer. It is I. Do not be afraid. And Peter answered him and said, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. So he said, Come. And when Peter had come down out of the boat, he walked on the water to go to Jesus. And when he saw that the wind was boisterous, he was afraid, and he began to sink, and he cried out, saying, Lord, save me. And immediately Jesus stretched out his hand and caught him and said to him, Oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? And when they got into the boat, the wind ceased. And then those who were in the boat came, and they worshipped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. I, wanna, I don't know how much this I'll get through. I hope I get through all of it today, but I may not. In verse 22, we see, we see this word, immediately. Immediately, Jesus made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side. Immediately, right after they'd finished eating. Right now, there's time frames in this story that we kind of need to be aware of. Twice already, we've read the word evening. When evening came, the disciples said it was late. They need to be sent away. Right? And then Jesus... After it's over and he sends the people away, he says it's evening. Well, there were two levels of evening. The first was from 3 o'clock in the afternoon to 6 o'clock in the evening. That's when they fed them. The second evening was 6 o'clock in the evening till 9 o'clock at night. That was the second evening. Right? And then the third, third time frame that we need to know about is the fourth watch of the night when Jesus came walking on the water to them. That's somewhere between 3 and 6 a.m. So we're talking about quite a lot of time for this story to transpire. But Jesus, it says immediately Jesus made his disciples get into the boat. The King James Version, if you read it, it says he constrained them. He constrained them to get in the boat. It gives us an indication they didn't want to go. They didn't want to get in the boat. He made them. Why didn't, why didn't they want to get in the boat? Don't really know, but I've had some thoughts, right? First thing, right? You can imagine their emotions when the people come and wanted to take him by force to make his king. They thought the time is now. No, Jesus, don't, don't make us go away. We want to be a part of this, right? And Jesus knew they had the wrong idea and the time was not coming. That wasn't happening. He was not going to be the kind of king that they, that they thought of or that the people thought of. And he needed them to be removed from that whole situation. So maybe that's the reason that he made them get in the boat and leave when they really, they didn't really didn't, didn't want to. The other thing that, that I think about is Maybe they were on this spiritual high, right? I mean, they'd just been out 
witnessing and casting out demons and healing people, and then they're, they're helping Jesus in the feeding of the 5,000. I mean, they are experiencing some incredibly miraculous spiritual things in the power of God. Maybe they just don't want to leave that. It's like Friday night at Falls Creek, Caleb. I don't want to go home. No, I don't, I'm not ready for camp to be over. You know, or, or like Peter, right on the, you remember the Mount of Transfiguration, right where Jesus takes Peter, James, and John with him. And he has a face-to-face conversation with Almighty God and, and Elijah and Moses. And Peter says, it is good for us to be here. Let me make a tabernacle. Let me make a place to dwell. One for you and one for Elijah and one for Moses. And we'll just stay here. Right? And then you remember the part of that story. The voice of God interrupted Peter. Now that's embarrassing. Right? The voice of God interrupted Peter. It says, and while he was still speaking, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and suddenly a voice came from, heaven, came from the cloud saying, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. Hear him. Hear him. They didn't want to leave. Maybe. Maybe they were just tired. Nine o'clock at night. Six o'clock at night, been a long day with Jesus healing people, experiencing the emotional ups and downs of John the Baptist being beheaded and, and all of the ministry that, that was going on. And any of you that have spent hours upon hours and ministering to people, you know, it kind of takes a, a toll sometimes. And maybe they were just tired and they didn't want to get in the boat. You know, it wasn't like they had a motorboat. They were just going to start the key and drive it across the lake, right? They, if they were going to get across the lake, they're going to have to row that boat across the lake. Maybe they felt the wind was already beginning to pick up. And they knew this ain't going to be easy. I don't know. I don't know what their reluctance was, why Jesus had to make them get in the boat but ultimately you know what ultimately they obeyed they obeyed they got in the boat and they took off and I just I mean I I I, I think about that do you, do you ever feel like and I, I know that you do but I want I want us to I want us to put ourselves into these stories they're here to minister to us to teach us but it, can you can you relate to to not wanting to do really what Jesus wants. Tired. Um, don't want to leave what I've got. You know, I don't know how many people we've, I've talked to in the last 20 years looking for Sunday school teachers. And you know what the number one reason people don't want to be a Sunday school teacher is? 
They don't want to leave the class they're in. No, I love my Sunday school class. I don't, I don't want to get in the boat. <laughs> I want to stay where I'm at. And I mean, that's just one example. There's, you know, there's lots and lots of others, right? Too busy, too tired to go to church or to go visit that person that the Lord's laid on your mind. Whatever the reluctance, these guys obeyed anyway. And at the end of the day, no matter what storm they were going to go through, they were in a position to witness the incredible power of God. Just, just a few that got to do that. Verse 23 says, And when he had sent the multitudes away, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. That's what he'd been after all day. A little solitude with the Father. It's where he had been headed hours ago after learning of the death of John the Baptist. And as I think about that, it, it just struck me that, I mean, if the very Son of God needs some solitude in the presence of the Father, how much more so do I? When was, when was the last time that you took an hour and just said, okay, I, I'm going to the mountain, so to speak. I'm going I'm to get away from... I'm going to get away from the people. I'm going to get away from the problems. I'm going to get away from all of the stuff of life. And, and I just need some time with God. You know, at Falls Creek, they used to have, and I think they still do have, a thing called an, an hour of solitude. And it's, just, it's like a prayer walk that they have stations set up. You know, when you get to this station, you think about this and you read this scripture and you know, all the time that I was a youth minister, I so encouraged kids, take, take an hour by yourself. This is not a group activity. Solitude with God is not a group activity. It's the reason Jesus sent the disciples away. They could have used it too. Right? But he sent the disciples away and he went by himself. Solitude with God is not a group activity. It's not something you do while you're listening to somebody preach or while you're doing any it's not while you're reading the book that's not solitude with God solitude with God I'm sure from Jesus standpoint was father thank you for John the Baptist right I mean that had to have been part of what was on his heart right says he had compassion on the crowds you know they were on his mind you know, his disciples were on his mind. He just made them get in the boat and leave. Right? But he, he spent time with God. He went up on a mountain by himself to pray. Now, when evening came, that's the second evening that we see, he was alone there. So it's probably, you know, 9 o'clock. Verse 24 says, But the boat was now in the middle of the sea. The boat was now in the middle of the sea. Tossed by the waves, for the wind was contrary. That word tossed is uh, to be 
tortured or torment. I mean, this is not just a little thing, right? And by the way, they should have never have been in the middle of the sea. You know, we know from where all of this happened, it happened right at the north end of the Sea of Galilee. And that's the narrowest part of the Sea of Galilee. I mean, this trip from one side to the other, from everything that I've read, was like two miles tops. Right? And all of the Gospels record that they found themselves in the middle of the sea for the wind was contrary. What happened? Well, the wind took them away from where they were intending to go. One of them says that, 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 uh, that they were four or five miles away from the coast, from the shore. This wind had blown them off course. Think about how long they had been rowing. They got in that boat no, no earlier, no later than nine o'clock. And Jesus comes across while they're in the middle of the sea at 3 o'clock in the morning. These guys have been at this for six to nine hours. Can you imagine? Oh, my gosh. And they were, they were worn out. They were worn out. But the boat was now in the middle of the sea, tossed by the waves, for the wind was contrary. The wind was antagonistic. The wind was against them. Interesting thing, Mark chapter 6, the story of this gospel says this. It says, now when evening came, the boat was in the middle of the sea, and he, Jesus, was alone on the land. Then he saw them. Then he saw them straining at rowing, for the wind was against them. That's going to be an important part of what I want to say today. Jesus saw them. They were not, in spite of what they thought, they were not out there by themselves. They were not out there by themselves. Jesus saw them straining at the at the at the at the at the oars right and then verse 25 now in the fourth watch of the night three to six o'clock in the morning they had been rowing for six to nine hours scripture says jesus went to them jesus went to them walking on the sea he was on the land he saw them straining And he went to them. He could have just said, you know what? You know what these guys need? They need to win to quit. Peace be still. And what would have happened? The wind would have quit blowing. And probably the disciples in that boat would have said, oh, praise God. Thank you, Jesus, for calming this doors. Okay, boys, let's go. That's not what he did. He didn't calm the storm. He went to them. He knew that ultimately what they needed, what they needed in the midst of the storm that they were going through was not not just a, a calm sea. They needed him. And he knew it. And he went to them. Jesus will 
always come to you in your storm. He will always come to you in your storm. I think about, I think about storms that, you know, that people go through, that, that I go through, or the people that we pray for go through, or that you go through. And you know what my first prayer is? All the time, my first prayer is calm this storm. Make this go away. Make this easy. Sometimes that's not the plan of God. We're going to see that what it did for their faith did only for their faith because of the storm. And he didn't didn't calm the sea. He went to them in their storm. Verse 26. When the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were troubled. That's that's the same word, troubled, that we, you know, let not your heart be troubled. Agitated, stirred up. You know, they, they were troubled. When the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were troubled, saying, it's a ghost. And they cried out, and that, that, is, that word cried out is to shriek or to scream. Can you imagine these 12 fishermen in this boat acting like that? Seriously, you believe in ghosts? Screaming like a little kid? For fear. They were scared to death. They were afraid. Mark and his apostle says, They had hardened hearts because they forgot what the loaves was about. This is the reason I say that through it all I'm learning to trust in Jesus. My goodness, these disciples, they had seen so much of the power of God in their lives. They had been out healing people, casting out demons, proclaiming the kingdom of God. And experienced all kinds of blessings from that. They had just finished helping Jesus feed 20,000 people with two fish and five loaves. And now all of a sudden, just a few hours later, they believe in ghosts and are screaming like kids. What happened? The storm caused them to forget Jesus. Even when they saw the image, they saw him coming across, their first thought wasn't, oh, good, Jesus is coming. It was, oh, no, it's a ghost. Their faith was just like gone. They didn't even have a thought. They didn't even have a thought of spiritual things. Now they've got all kinds of wild stuff going on in their imagination. But I, but I think about the storms that go in, go in our lives. Isn't that what happens? We start, we start getting embroiled in the storms. I mean, you know, in that, that doctor's appointment or that diagnosis or that loss or that relationship problem or that college tuition or, I mean, whatever it is. And all of a sudden we just like, we, we forget we forget Jesus. And we start living in the, in the problem. And in fact, the problem just gets worse in our own minds. There was no ghost. 
There was, there was no ghost. Right? They just forgot their faith. And you know, that was okay with Jesus. Jesus did not have the conversation with them that I just had with you. I can't believe you guys. Don't you remember this? Don't you remember that? How come you're acting like little kids? He he didn't have that conversation with them. Because you see, Jesus understands that as human beings, we get like that. You know, when I was talking about Jesus' command to come to me, you know, Jesus says, come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. The assumption is that you will labor and be heavy laden. He's not scolding for being burdened, for being weary and heavy laden. He said, when you recognize that, come to me. Come to me. When you see the storm and you're experiencing the storm, come to me. And and it says in verse 27, it says, But immediately Jesus spoke to them, saying, I'm so disappointed and you get... No, no. He said, be of good cheer, it is I. Take courage. It wasn't a a rebuke, it was an encouragement. Be of good cheer, take courage. You know, it's it's the same word that was used to the woman that needed healing. Jesus said, be of good comfort, your faith has made you whole. You know, you know... And I know I've been preaching on this a lot. But you know what it required? Jesus was saying you need to change your thinking. Now what's the word that we use for change your thinking? Repent. You guys are going to get that one of these days if I say it enough. Repent. In essence, he was telling these disciples, you guys need to repent. You need to change your thinking from that of fear to that of faith. It is I. It's not a ghost. It's me. Be of good cheer. Do not be afraid. It's, it is I. He saw them. He went to them. And now he spoke to them. And in their speaking, they recognized him. Now, did the storm stop? No. The storm did not stop. Storm kept going. But it was enough that he was there. See, the storm doesn't matter. The storm does not matter. Because Jesus is there. Your storm does not matter. Because Jesus is there. And we're going we're gonna to forget that all the time. We're going to forget our faith. We're we're going to have the same rebuke that 
that Jesus told Peter, and I'm not even going to get to the walking on the water part, so guess what? That's going to have to be, that's going to be another sermon. Right? He said, oh, you have a little faith. Why did you doubt? Right? It wasn't a scolding rebuke. It was an encouraging rebuke. Right? Because we're all, we're all going to experience those storms where where we need, we must be reminded of our faith. And no matter the storm, these three things are what are key and important. Number one, Jesus, He sees us. He sees us. Number two, He comes to us. When we have no idea, and we have forgotten Him, He comes to us. And when He comes to us, He says, I am here. Storm may not go away. Sometimes it did, sometimes it doesn't. Regardless of how we pray and what our first instincts are. But just the presence of Jesus made the difference. Made such a difference to Peter that Peter said, I'm coming. There's another whole, probably another whole message in there. It'd be a short one though. No matter the storm, it's a simple message. No matter the storm, Jesus is there. He sees you, he comes to you, and he's all you need. You know, as an invitation, you know, we, we all at times go through storms and they're different they're different for everybody some seem more severe than others but you know what but but when you're in the midst of it when you don't understand what's going on and it just seems like you're rowing and you're rowing and you're rowing and you're rowing and you're just getting further away anyway I'm not going anywhere this ain't working Jesus is the answer Right? He'll come to you. Seek me, and you will find me, Jesus said. Right? Because he's always there. Hey friends, before you go, if you have a prayer request, we invite you to send us an email at prayforyou@att.net. That's P-R-A-Y, the number four, Y-O-U at att.net. Or call the church office at 405-381-2492. If you'd like to learn more about our children's, youth, men's, women's, or senior adult ministries, visit our website at fbctuttle.net. Thanks again for joining us today. We love you and we hope you have a blessed week.